Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. We stand when we read scripture. It also gives you your frame to know how the preaching was today. Because if the preaching does not accord with what I'm about to read to you, we have a problem. If the preaching helps you to understand and believe and live these words better, we win today. That's the big goal. I'm reading from the fourth chapter of what we have as the letter to the church in the city of Philippi. I'm starting in the 10th verse. Hear these words. Then when I'm done reading, you can sit and we will preach some gospel at you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, at length, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you just had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, or to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right, you can be seated. One other housekeeping note. Sorry, we got to interrupt for one more thing. Those four windows need to be open. They were closed because somebody was jackhammering over there, and we didn't know if that was going to stop. So, Tim, Felipe, can you stand on that chair? Is there somebody else who can snap the other one? I think there's one of them that you're going to need Paul Ha because he's 6'2", and you have to hold it up and then slide the wood in. Tim, a little bit higher. Felipe, a little bit lower. No, you're good, Felipe. Yours is staying. TR, does that one hold? Okay, great. Okay, there's no jackhammering. That's good. What kind of neighbor jackhammers their front porch at 8.30 a.m. on a Sunday? But they were doing it. We're good? All right, your goal is to now hear the words that we read unpacked for you. We got about a half hour. Just rest, focus in with me, and we'll hear this together. Okay, let me start here. One of the words that every pastor gets to do over time is to find his voice. Um, What does it sound like for him to preach gospel? And one of the decisions to be made is how personal do I get in my preaching? Um, On the one hand, one of the worst things ever is when a preacher talks about himself all the time. Have you experienced this before? Every illustration, every story, every analogy is about the speaker and tends to put the speaker in really bright lights. And we know that that gets old really fast. You're not up here to preach yourself. You're up here to preach Christ. And so you have to be careful of that tendency. But what sometimes people do is they swing all the way to the opposite side and they say, hey, you should never talk about yourself as a minister of the gospel. This isn't about you. 
And so just exposit the words. Tell them what they mean. Use stories about other people or church history or other places in your Bible. But don't invite yourself into your preaching. I think that's an overreaction. Um, and I think so because of the Bible. Uh, the apostles literally say, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus. We get to say that to one another, and I certainly get to say that to you. Hey, as I am learning and hustling and given the chance to unpack truth for you, I'm inviting you into what the Spirit is doing in my life and in me, not to lift me, but to lift him so that you can at least see how it works out in one sinner's life and how that may affect yours. The other thing biblically is over and over again as you read the apostles' writings, they talk about themselves, their experience, their story, their feelings. You just heard it, right? 11 or 12 times in what I just read to you, four short verses, Paul says to them, I or me. Here's how I felt when I got your gift in the mail. He's inviting himself into that space. So I'm always trying to learn how to do that with you in a way that's helpful and not self-exalting, but that you know that it's just a real sinner up here doing this with you. So I wanted to start today by inviting you into one of the prayers that has been central to my 2020. And these are the words up on the screen. You don't owe me anything. Okay, here it is. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. Just like for you, 2020, COVID-19 has been some highlights and some really lowlights, some real big time struggles. Just as our church was cresting, this, this spring was supposed to be the best spring we've ever had as the Melrose congregation. Boom, everything got shut down. We finally finished the writing of our field guide book. And in April was supposed to be this book launch party in here with 125 people just celebrating the grace of God. <laughs> Cancel. Did not exist. We are in the second year of fighting through and doing so well, but some like major physical health challenges in our home. We are the parents of four awesome kids who you would love, who are figuring life out, and that has its highs, boom, and its lows. There is sin in my life at 47 that I still can't kick. There's opportunities that I thought we were going to be stepping into this week that aren't happening. Did we tell you that the Fitchburg Church, the congregation voted 33? to 31 to not stream into a seven-mile road church plant with the next season of their life. They said no. And it's okay, it's good, but that's hard. What maybe was about to be. Blow after blow after blow after blow. You live life the same way that I do, right? And when things do not go my way, this is the prayer that I tend to pray. And to call it a prayer is not really fair. I say, 
you owe me better than this. You owe me better than this. I have worked very hard at this marriage. I have worked very hard at being a dad. You have watched me for 19 years every single day work wicked hard at being a good pastor. Why do you not let things go my way? And not even not go my way, why would there be a list of things that crash and don't go my way? I have been realizing this year that that is a ridiculous, proud, non-life posture to take before God. It's a denial of his goodness, and it's a denial of all the grace that he has given to me. And so I have been praying, you have to teach my heart to pray these words. You don't owe me anything. You do not owe me my perfect life. You don't owe me anything more than you have already given to me. I think I was screaming this prayer in the woods up behind our house. You know, like you have your spot to pray, I hope, in your room, your apartment, your house. But then when it's real serious, you got to go somewhere where nobody's around but you and God. You don't owe me anything. All right, there is no passage of scripture that unpacks for us more clearly the doctrine, the truth behind this prayer. And it has served as a sharp rebuke but also a warm invitation for me in a season where some of these downs could make me just shake my hands at God and say, you owe me more than this. All right, let me pray and we'll hit it. Father, be gracious as we hear these words. Let them jump out and be clear. I pray that you would do it. Amen. Okay, today we get one of the most coffee-mugged T-shirted, fortune cookied, Instagrammed Bible verses that there has ever been. Did you hear it? Here it is. This was verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Who has had who has heard this verse before? Okay, you've heard it before. What is the context in which you have heard these words? So I have heard these words in athletic contexts, right? It's a big game, baby. We're going to win this thing because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, Pauli Bragna, he just ran the Boston Marathon. Everybody ran it virtually. So you found your only 26.2 miles and you have to map out what your heartbreak hill was. I was wondering if before this race, he put his AirPods on and was like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have heard this in an academic setting. Anybody? I got a huge exam this week. I'm going to make it through this degree program. Oh, no, I have to give a presentation, and I hate public speaking. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Have you heard this in a relationship context? I have to confront my mother-in-law, and I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. Okay. I hate to bubble your burst, but <laughs> this verse is not about self-actualizing, and it's not about performing, and it's not about accomplishing, and it's not about realizing your dreams or your desires. It is not about you defying gravity or losing 30 pounds or getting something done. The word things in here, I can do all things, is not referring to tasks or goals or marathons or speeches. The words I can do it, I can do, is not referring to performance or accomplishment or achievement. All things in here means all situations, all circumstances, all seasons. And I can do it means I can handle it, I can walk through it, I can get through it with contentment and joy. It's about living life, whether it is hitting you with blue skies or what's it called, murder hornets, either way, that I can do that thing right there from a gospel baseline of joy because I have Christ and Christ has me. So if we were going to phrase this in Bostonian, here's how we would say those words real fast. We would say it like this. If I have Christ, I'm good. Everybody feel it? If I have Christ, I'm good. All right, let's hit the words of the text, and we'll just let it come out at us. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church, not in the city of Melrose, in the city of Philippi. They had sent him a big financial gift. Big bag of cash was walked from Philippi to Caesarea, where he was in prison. Someone knocked on the door and said, hey, can you sign on this? He opened it up, and it was a big bag of cash for the support of his ministry. At some point in the letter, he needs to say thank you, right? He's not going to write them a letter and not say thank you. This is his way of saying thank you for the money that you sent to me. And this is what he says. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. Do you ever get a gift and a smile just breaks across your face? So you know Miles Roselle, he's nine. I don't know how he could only be nine. It feels like he's 140, right? I've known this kid my whole life. So on his birthday, he was at school, and I just left him a little card and a box of Sour Patch Kids Extreme. Yes. And his mom and dad told me that when he got home from school, he saw this pack of Sour Patch Kids, and he just went, boom. He's got the greatest cowlick in earth history. It's so handsome. It just started fluttering up there. He was so happy. That's these words right here. I opened this package from you, and I beamed. My cowlick was jumping. It was the best thing ever. Do you feel it? Okay. But then he gives two quick caveats to explain what he doesn't mean of why he was so joyful. The first one was this. He said these words. Not that I'm, no, the one before that. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. So he's 
He's not saying, oh, I got this gift and I was like, finally, I thought they forgot about me, those losers back in Philippi. No, 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 that's not why I was so happy. I didn't think you had forgot about me. I taught myself Instagram this summer. You know what that is? I was like, I'm learning this thing. So I just messed with it the whole month of July and August. And I noticed something. When you post a picture on Instagram, you know, you can see who likes it. So I'd be like, oh, I'm going to post this. And I'd be like, oh, Luke is definitely going to like this. And then like five hours later, Luke hasn't liked it. I'm like, oh my goodness, what's going on with Luke? Why didn't he like this thing? You know that feeling? So he's saying, that's, that's not what happened here. I wasn't like, I don't know if you still love me. Then I got your gift. Now I know that you did. That's why I was happy. He's saying, I know you love me. It wasn't dependent upon you giving the gift. You feel it? His ground of joy was not that. He never doubted their generosity. Then he gives them a second caveat and says, this wasn't it either, and this is the big one for today. It's not that he was down and depressed and discontent and bummed out until their gift arrived. And then he got happy because he had a bag of cash in his hands. He says, no, 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 no. That's not what happened here. My joy doesn't do this, whether or not you are with me, whether or not I have money, or anything else. I live from a baseline of joy. Here's how he said it. See these words with me. He said, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay, does everybody feel this? It wasn't, I was bad until the gift came in, and then I was good. He was already good. And he uses these pairs to say, I'm not shaken by the ups and downs. Whether it's abound and plenty and abundance, I'm good. If it's low and down and fragile and empty, I'm good. Either way, I'm good. Okay, let's be honest. This is weird, isn't it? This is crazy talk. This is not natural. This is not normal. Have you ever had somebody talk not normal to you and you're like, what are you saying right now? I heard the funniest thing this week. This guy was flying to Florida and his wife was home and he was somewhere else and they were gonna meet there. So he called her and he said, hey, what time are you guys leaving? And she said, 12 o'clock. And he looked at his watch and it was 11.30. And he said, I don't know if you know how airports work, but even if that plane was in our driveway, I don't think you're going to make it. And his wife said, no, 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 we're leaving the house at 12. The flight leaves at 2. And he said, when I asked you what time you were leaving, what did you think I was asking you about? Why did you give me some time that nobody nowhere cares anything about? I think he said, what time did you wake up this morning? I'll check all the flights landing in Florida and see if that's the one that you're on. And his wife said to him, 
I'm sorry I don't talk the way you want me to. Ooh. And he said, I just want you to talk normal. This is not normal talk in here. When everything goes awesome as planned, this is when we're good and we're joyful. But when everything falls apart and it goes sideways, we're not. Isn't that how it works with you? That's how it tends to work with me. Three or four years ago, I took um, Julia and her cousin and Brandon to an uh, amusement park in central Jersey. Massive park that I had gone to when I was nine years old. And the roller coaster is still there. The same one, the same seats, the same bubble gum, the same everything, you know, on the seat. Well, I hadn't been there in 30 years, and I was like, there's four of us. We're going to get back to back in one section of the roller coaster. Here we go. Nobody had told me that when you pass 40 years old, your body is not supposed to be going on old school roller coasters anymore. Well, we get on the roller coaster, and you know how this works, right? You go all the way up, and up at this top of this one, there's this long run before you come down. When I was up at the top, it was all good. You could see the panorama of the whole park. This little bird flew by me and just like chirped and said hello. There was a breeze in my face. I was with my kids and my niece, my nephew. It was all happy. Then all of a sudden, this thing went down. And every rib, cartilage, joint in this whole old body was like beginning to come apart. And every time we hit a low, I wanted to kill myself. I was like, what did I do? It was so horrible. This is how life tends to be, no? We got these highs when everything goes right, and it's all good, and we're content and joyful. Then there's these lows where it's all sideways and junky and wrong, and we hate it, and we're discontent, and we're crumpy, grumpy, and we're cranky. This is how we do it. Does everyone feel this? All right, if this was a gospel community, I would go around the room and I would say, tell me a day when you would have said these words right here. It was the best. Get that day in your mind. What day would you go? It was the best. Oh, I had so many examples. You know when Brandon was in fifth grade rec, I was coaching their little rec team and they have those five minute periods. And um, he hit back to back to back to back three pointers in one little five minute stretch. I wish you were there because like he hits the first one and everyone goes, oh, good shot, little boy. And then he hits the second one, and they were like, oh, shoot, this kid hit two. And then he hits the third one, and everyone's like, what the heck is going on? Who is this kid? Give him the ball. Give him the ball. And I'm the coach. I'm in charge. So I kept running the same play, you know, and I kept getting him to the same spot where he can make the shot. When he hit the fourth one, it was like, you know, 2004, Red Sox beat the Yankees. The whole gym exploded. They went crazy. I was so content when I got home that day. I'm like, my kid loves basketball. I put him in the right position. He knew what he was supposed to do. He knocked down the shots. It was all good. It was the best. You feel it? One time, Grace and I went on a vacation, just the two of us. And I think we had three children at the time, so we would have been early 30s. And we went to, uh, 
You know that island off the coast of Miami? It's called the Bahamas, you know, down there? Yeah, yeah. So we went down there, and we always go to a nice place, but we never stay in the nice room. Do you know how that works? So you get the nice place, but then you get the cheapest room. That's kind of how we roll. Well, we got there early enough that the lady said, hey, nobody's in the super nice room, so why don't you guys go hang out up there for the night? So we go up there, and this is the room that you can't afford. You know what I'm saying? That room. It's overlooking the Atlantic or the Caribbean. And there is a hammock on the platform of this room. And I just remember sneaking into the hammock and holding my wife. And we didn't move for like two hours. And if you would have like seen the neon sign in my heart, it would have just said, content. Like in a marriage with children who are three hours away, <laughs> in a room that we can't afford, in a hammock on the Caribbean, it was all good. You feel it? If you dug down into the bottom of my soul, you would have seen the words, content. Everybody gets that, right? Okay, now flip it. And do you talk this way? I talk this way. It was the worst. It was the worst. Have you ever said that before? So now I wish I could give you the mic, but get in your head the worst. I don't want to personally share like the, the dark things. We wouldn't do that from this pulpit, but you know what I'm talking about? Like just the worst things. But this is a lighthearted worst, but I want you to feel it if the end of this is going to make sense. So um, everybody know where Breakheart Reservation is? Yeah? So I went over there one time, like March 31st. So the very end of winter, it was maybe 52 degrees, but I had to get out of the house with the kids. So I took them over there. Julia was a baby, Brandon was three, and Matt was five. And uh, we're walking through a break car, we look at the lake, and I'm like, hey, let's go in the woods for a second, for a second. Well, we go off the beaten path, and I'm telling you, within like 37 seconds, we get as lost as Tom Hanks or whatever that movie was. Just completely lost in the Breakheart Woods of Saga. And now, all these things happen simultaneously. The oldest starts crying because he knows we're lost and he can see it in my face. My phone gets down to like 6% battery. Brandon falls completely into a creek of water, head to toe. And I have no idea where we are. And uh, you know how it can get real quiet in the woods? I mean, like, all the birds disappear. Everything gets quiet. Then you hear the wolves start, you know, howling. <laughs> then these vultures start circling. I'm like, I can't believe this. I got lost in 37 seconds. I got a soaking wet three-year-old, a baby, and a crying five-year-old. And I'm not exactly an outdoorsman. So I called Grace, I was like, send the FBI, send the CIA, send the Saugus police, send the trailblazers or whatever. And then up in the woods, like an angel from heaven, there was these two people walking on this trail up there. And so I carried everybody up the hill like, you know, Superman, and we got out of there. When I got home, if you would have seen the sign on my soul, it would have said, discontent. I was so grumpy, I was so angry, I was so mad at myself, I was so mad at God, I was so mad at the world, I was like, I'm working so hard to be a good dad, 
and this is what happens to me, no joy at all. That's normal. That's what you would expect to be in someone's soul in that minute. That's what you would expect to read in here. Hey, before you sent that money, when I was broke, I was down and depressed. But then when you sent that money, all of a sudden, I was happy and content. That's what you expect him to say. But he says something totally different. He says, that's not how it works for me anymore. He says, I learned something about the gospel. He calls it a secret. I learned a secret. Okay, who read the book, The Secret? I was told this week that that was the worst book to ever be published. Is that true? <laughs> so if it was, it was? If it was, that's not what I mean by secret. I think the secret there is send your happy thoughts into the universe, and then you lose weight, and you get the girl, and you get a promotion, something like that. This is not the secret that he's talking about. It's not like a cheat code. It is, I have learned something over time that I did not know before. You know those kind of things that you can't learn in a textbook? You can't learn just because you got the code, but you have to live through it in order to go, oh, now I know how this works. He says, I have learned a gospel secret. And here's what it was. Here's how he said it. As long as he had Christ, he was good. That's the secret. As long as I had Christ, I could be good. All right, we already heard the first way he said it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If I have Christ, I'm good. But then he said it in another way. He said, in all these circumstances, I have learned to be content. This is not the word that you are expecting to be in there. If you looked it up, you would see that the word content means self-sufficient. Self-sufficient. So at first you would scratch your head and you would go, whoa, how is that a gospel secret if he's leaning into himself to have joy? I don't get this. Let's talk about it. To talk about it, we have to talk about your union with Christ and to talk about why that is so unbelievable we have to talk theological about the aseity of God. Has anybody heard that word before? The aseity of God. All right, let's do it. Here we go. It means that God is self-existent. God's aseity, his self-existence. God did not need to be created, and God does not depend on creation or anything in the created order in order for him to exist just fine. How long can you live without oxygen? You're like, I'm trying to figure it out right now because it's been 27 minutes and I got this mask on. But for real, how long can you live without oxygen? What is it? Three minutes. Three minutes, all right. Judah did the research, he's got it. He's been experimenting. He got to two minutes and 59, and he went, oh, I got to breathe right now or I'm going to die. It's three minutes. Good answer. How long can you live without water? Three days. Three days? You didn't try that, did you? Okay. 
You know these? All right. What stock is going to go up by 90% this year? I was just checking if you knew that. How long can you live without food? Three weeks. All right. I'll take those answers. Here's the point. God can live and exist just fine forever without any of that. You see what I'm saying? You are dependent upon something in the created order, vitamin D, protein, air, oxygen, water, food, in order to survive. God is good regardless of oxygen, food, water, or anything else. He doesn't need anything outside of himself to exist. And not just to exist, and, and this is the secret, but to exist infinitely, deeply, perpetually, happy, joyful, content. God has always existed as the Trinity in an infinitely perfect relationship of love and therefore of joy. All right, this is meant to be a warm question. I hope you receive it that way. Have you ever loved somebody who really loves you? Have you ever loved somebody who really, honestly, all the way down, loves you? I mean, they were for you. They delighted in you. They got you. They met you. They responded to you. They would never be harsh with you or shame you or betray you. You were at peace when you were with them. You knew what you were going to get every time, and it was the best every time. Have you ever experienced that? This is how God is and always has been and will always be Father, Son, and Spirit. God needs nothing outside of God to be perfectly loved and perfectly content. And here is what Paul is saying that he figured out. He doesn't need anything outside of God to be perfectly content either. His new self, which is in union with Christ, no up and down can shake that. And so, as long as he has Christ, he's good. There is nothing that can shake or deepen the contentment that comes with knowing I have the love of the Father. I have the love of the Son. I have the love of the Spirit. All right, last illustration. I got such a beautiful picture of this in July. So one of the most exhausting and most awesome things about being a pastor is this. You ready for it? Oh, shoot, you could fill that blank with a lot of things. <laughs> what do you think I'm going to say? Well, one of them is doing weddings. They're exhausting because you do marriage prep, 
you got to meet the family. There's always a crazy uncle every time. Who is this guy? Please don't be the crazy uncle. But there's always one. And then you got to figure out this and that and boom and bop and bows and personalities and conflicts and all this crazy stuff. And you got to do rehearsal dinner and the wedding. You got to look good. Your breath has to smell great. The whole thing is exhausting. But it is also the best thing ever to step into a young couple's life at this inflection point of marriage and to love them through it. So I got three this year. The first one was Brady and Jess. It was really sweet. And it happened the Saturday before coronavirus hit. How's that for timing? Wow. The second one was Ethan and Leah. And theirs happened after coronavirus hit. And then the third one is going to be Brett and Katie this week. By the way, I traded in my baggy, drapey 44 suit for a 38. I can't wait to put this thing on. Well, this wedding in the middle is Ethan and Leah. And you would have thought they would have been grumpy and cranky and miserable, right? It was supposed to be at this amazing venue. It was supposed to be in this church that Leah was raised in. They were supposed to have 240 New Englanders and Bostonians dancing and dining and the whole nine. It was their wedding day. And the whole thing got jacked because of the coronavirus. And our first conversation was at the, um, I forget where we were sitting to eat together about it, but I was like, oh man, are they gonna be down? Are they gonna be de depressed? Are they gonna be discontent? I have never eaten a meal with two happier people in my whole life. And I think it was Leah who said it beautifully to me, but she said, Matt, Whatever, it's okay. We just want to get married. And underneath that was, I don't care if I'm in my dad's backyard and you're sweating buckets through a 44 suit because it's 111 degrees and I forgot to get a canopy for you. And there's only 11 people there. Am I going to be with Ethan? Is Ethan going to be there? Do I get to spend the day with Ethan? Is Ethan mine? And am I his? And if the answer is yes, I'm good. This is the heart of a Christian when it comes to the ups and downs of life. Is Christ with me? Is Christ still for me? Do I still have Christ? I'm good. I'm good. I can do it. I can do all things because I am united to Christ, and he is mine, and I am his, and he strengthens me. That secret is learned over time, but it's one that changes everything about the baseline of our joy. All right, let me give you two application thoughts and we'll pray. Here's one of them. It's about the highs, the best. Go for God-focused gratitude in the highs. Do you feel this? If the real joy is the fact that things went well, absent from the fact that God's grace was in it, now you're rising and falling based on something other than God. And so in the highs, enjoy the highs as a gift from God. Let your gratitude in the best place be, well, this is great because I have God. 
And then the last one is the opposite. In the lows, say no to that whole wanderlust thing. Anybody ever heard that phrase before, wanderlust? Do you know what that is? If we are constantly depending on things to go our way and we have no joy if they don't, then immediately we are saying, there's joy for me somewhere else. Do you know how that works? If I lived in a different city, something better than Stoneham or Medford, then I'd be happier. If I lived in a different house, I hate this dump, a better house, then I'd have joy. If I lived on a better street, if I had a different job, if I was in a different marriage, if I had different kids, <laughs> then I would have joy. If that's where you live, then you begin to wander lustfully thinking somewhere else is my spot for contentment. You go on Zillow and Trulia and Indeed and ZipRecruiter. Instead, you should be going where? You should be going to God. You should be going to his grace to you in the gospel, to his promises, to his person. I'm not saying you should never move or switch jobs or do a new kitchen project. Do it if that's what God's hand is in. I'm saying if you are doing that seeking, finally, I'll be content. You're never going to find a baseline of joy. And you are settling for something less than the best baseline of joy that there is. God's grace in the gospel is meant to be that for you. All right, let's pray and ask for the grace to receive it. Father, you're so good to us. Even preaching in a room with kids banging around and just realizing how greedy and ungracious and petty we are to think how you have filled our lives with so much grace and blessing and we still are discontent. Would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for wander, lusting all the time? It's such a shot at you and we're sorry for it. Instead, would you teach us up or down, the best or the worst? It's all good. We have you. You have us. That changes everything. Make it true. I pray that you would. Amen.